0: Back to the messy reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Kronke. He's a member at PCRC in Bees, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see reformation happen in our denomination. But whenever reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy. And we're starting to see things get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the CRC to find out what's happening in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. Also, head on over to our website at themessyreformation.com. You'll find our podcast there and also a blog post each week with all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Jeffrey Scripps. So, Jeff, why don't you uh, just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, your family, and the church that you're at?
1: Okay. Well, um, I grew up as a pastor's kid. And uh, that meant moving from parsonage to parsonage for a while, uh, for a long while. I remember when dad got the call to pastoral ministry, wonder what that was like, you know, did God call him on the telephone or something like that? I was about five years old when he uh, said that he sensed a call into ministry. And so I figured, okay, God called on the phone, everybody else does. And uh, no, it wasn't quite that. Uh, And uh, we went to uh, East Palmyra, New York, and that was a wonderful place. Um, Sioux Falls, South Dakota became my adopted hometown, and uh, thereafter uh, I went off to uh, uh, Calvin College, uh, met my wife, who is uh, now we've celebrated 20 years plus together. Uh, in June it will be 21, so that's, uh, yeah, the Lord has has worked through that. Uh, it's It's amazing how you can grow in love for each other and uh, you know you think on your wedding day like oh you'll never be as in love and no, actually you get more in love <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and how does that work it's yeah you know christ in the church you get to appreciate those passages a lot more um yeah along the way god blessed us with uh, two children got a seventeen year old and a fourteen year old and um, yeah that's uh, it's it's been a lot of fun uh, they're precious they uh, have very different personalities and, uh, that's kind of, yeah, that's the family side. We're all pet people. So just to, uh, while we're in the process of warning each other, uh, we have a, a very large uh, ginger tabby who may hop up at some point and demand my attention since uh, I'm her <laughs> servant. You know, she's, uh, yeah. Yeah. She's my queen. <laughs> and uh, she's a beloved of the whole family. Uh, And we also have a Chihuahua too, which you might hear in the background, but he stays upstairs because we have a division in the house. Uh, The cat has the downstairs and the the, the dog has the
0: upstairs and we have two rabbits. Okay. And so, uh, and then what church are you at currently serving? Yeah. I'm at the uh, Forest Grove Christian
1: Reformed church. Um, I sensed the call into a pastoral ministry about high school-ish and, Again, it wasn't uh, any kind of dramatic event. God didn't call on the phone there either. Uh, But he worked through uh, conversations, through my own heart, through the need of the church at the time, which in the 90s, if you can believe it. uh, I think you guys are a little too young for this. Maybe not. But uh, in the 90s, churches were... um, desperate for pastors. You know, guys would graduate out of seminary, and they'd get like three, four, sometimes one guy I knew had five calls right right away, graduated in 94, 95. And I graduated high school 97. So it was still kind of a, a hot market, so to speak. My dad had a, a number of calls that he had to turned down, and really wrestled with it, felt bad about it. And, you know, in that, that context, that's where I thought, you know, here I have these interests and these gifts and a heart for the church. Uh, you know, kind of like an Isaiah. Here I am. Send me. And uh, so I just plowed right ahead. Uh, was a theology major in college, and uh, then right on to uh, Calvin Seminary. And uh, when I graduated, uh, there I did get a couple of calls, but it was already starting to slow down a little bit. And we can talk about that mm-hmm. later. You know, with the kind of the decline of the church and kind of the anxiety therein. But uh, you know, I got a couple. Most of my classmates would get one, two, maybe three calls. But it's slowing down from the 90s, 2005. Went to uh, Lebanon in uh, Sioux Center, Iowa for the first charge, five and a half years, and uh, loved the people, loved the ministry. Then God called us to uh, Forest Grove Christian Reformed Church in rural Hudsonville, uh, just south of Hudsonville, really, in Michigan. And I've been there since 2011. I didn't think I'd stay in my second charge this long. And right now it seems like. uh, I don't know that God's going to move me anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> it's a small church, mm-hmm. so you know. You know, after uh, COVID hit, uh, you know, we were one of those that lost a few, not many, but we did lose some. And when you're a tiny church, you know, even a little is a lot.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so we'll we'll see. It's it's in the Lord's hands. Uh, I've learned to uh, again just trust in the Lord and uh, be faithful. You you guys say it many times on the podcast here. You know, we're not called to be, um, I'm paraphrasing here, you know, not called to be successful or, uh, you know, or and then, then don't get bent out of shape. If suddenly, you know, your church isn't filled with people and professions of faith and baptisms left and right and everything. Of course we want to see that, but you know what, maybe sometimes you're like Jeremiah and you're preaching and nobody's listening and, yeah. and maybe even worse, Jeremiah actually got lowered into the cistern and everything. Um, Hey, <laughs> you know, I've got, a wonderful little group. And uh yeah, we've had some trials, you know. we get to the seven, eight year mark in a pastoral uh ten year, and yeah, there was there was a kerfuffle, and
0: um, but the Lord mm-hmm. brought us altar. So, Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. So that's one of the things yeah, one of the things that I was thinking of as you were talking, you're talking about growing up as a pastor's kid and and all of the moves um that you made. Um and, and now you're talking, you know, you've been at your charge for, for 10 years now. And there's been, I've been talking with people that there's kind of been this change back back in the day. I don't have a year range, but you know, the average pastor at pastor stayed at a church like five to seven years, right? And then they would kind of rotate every five to seven years. Uh, but now that it seems like there's been more of a move toward a uh, longer pastorates, 10, 15 years in a charge and uh, one of my friends locally here was just—he now we he just moved, but he would, had been at his charge for over twenty years, and uh, so I'm just curious. Do you have any thoughts on on uh, what's going on there?
1: Actually, uh, if you go back further, it gets to three, four years. They yeah. even had to put something in mm-hmm. church order, maybe you know that uh, said you know you may call a minister after uh, less than something like eighteen months or two years. Yeah, I think you, think know, two you have to years, pay for the yeah. moving expenses. There used to be quite a bit of churning. Yeah. and and i do have a few thoughts on that um i think well my grandpa was a minister too in the christian reformed church and uh you know that had some positive effects and some negative effects it really depends on the personality of the pastor and the and the family i had some uncles who thrived on it you know and uh, i see that in my younger brother he's just always moving mm. you know every 3 or 4 years even though <laughs> he just likes to move and yep. uh then other family members other uncles and and aunts uh ooh, you know it's you could tell that leaving one really healthy place for a more contentious place would really kind of hurt them, especially in junior high or high school. Um, Yeah, some thoughts on it. You know, one of them is that I think back in the day, and I'm talking like the 1950s, or or 60s, or even earlier, you had a lot more of a mm, sameness in the Christian Reformed Church. You had pretty much the same architecture. You certainly were singing out of the old uh, blue hymn book here. And this whole yep. thing, uh, 1959 or then the 71, 72 uh, reprint, but it was essentially the same. Um, order of worship, theology. Um, it wouldn't surprise me uh, if uh, you Followed some pastors around from uh yesteryear and you could have them serving in classes Grand Rapids East and then in Mincota and back again with um w- without a whole lot of uh, difficulty. Mm. That's changed.
0: <laughs> yeah, big time.
1: That's <laughs> changed just a little bit. Um and uh it, you know, so I think there's some of what slowed everything down was is, is theological, uh, you know, some theological you could call it drifting movement that pastors do congregations do. Um, I think in light of the church decline too, which has been going on since, oh goodness, the 90s, if not earlier, uh, churches have gotten nervous. They started getting nervous probably around 2000, early 2000s, and it's just gotten worse. Um, there And there's some dysfunction too that uh, has happened. You know, we've all have stories of uh, what we call Article 17s, right? You know, where the pastor and the church aren't getting along and, and they got to, part ways and uh that's usually pretty ugly and uh congregations uh, typically don't thrive right after that or during that process mm-hmm. and uh, i think search committees are really scared of getting the wrong pastor so and so that that's another piece of it too yeah. and uh the, so that slows things down from the the pull end you might say so pastors aren't getting just as many calls and then you have the personalities of uh you know, the, the children, pastor's children, spouse, spouse is working a whole lot more. You know, a lot of I mean you said Jason, your your wife is a nurse, right? Yep. You know, and then I, I don't know is any Willie, you just got married, right? Yes, sir, that's right. Yeah. Now your wife has does your wife have a job or is she homemaker? Yep. She is a ballet teacher. She's
0: ran a ballet studio for, oh my goodness, probably 11 years now, 11, 12 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So So she runs a Christian ballet academy. Okay. And
1: and she's likely to keep going with that too for the foreseeable future, right? Yeah. She's
0: training up people right now to kind of assume her roles and responsibilities that she's had over the years. But uh, for the foreseeable future, that's probably where she'll be for a while yet. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm just going through the uh, immediately in the list of all our colleagues, I, I'm having a hard time finding one. I think there's maybe one in my area who, whose wife is a stay-at-home mom. I think that with the rest of them, you know, so that's a factor too, right? You know, yeah. mm-hmm. if, if your spouse gets a job, um, could say that maybe high school has gotten a little harder socially too for, for children. You know, that's, that's a part of my uh, calculation, so I think you know you throw all these things in, and um yeah, it's it's a lot harder for, for pastors to do that three, five year, and then you could see it if you really had a lot of time on your hands, <laughs> you could probably chart this out, you know, and you can kind of like, yeah, it used to be three to five years, then it was five to eight years, and now it's yeah, it's getting on a decade or so for an average yeah. tenure, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's pretty standard. Uh well, I'm not stand, but a lot of people I've talked to um yeah are are hanging in at least till the 10 year mark and mm-hmm. uh and uh I, and for me i i see i mean i i totally agree with you a lot of those um things that you've talked about factor into why it's taking longer i i have the opinion too that that good lasting change takes a long time too and so i've mm-hmm. seen i've seen benefit in having um and staying in one place for a while i mean now i haven't been I've only been at my current church for three years, um, but I was youth pastor um, at my previous church for 11 years. And so I had I kind of hit that decade mark there. And, and it, I didn't feel like we really started rolling as a ministry until about the seven or eight year mark. The last three or four years, we were really clicking along. We were really seeing the fruit of our labors. Um, the discipleship we had been doing was kind of Returning and bearing fruit, we were having kids coming back, and now you know being leaders in the ministry and and leaders in the church. We were seeing all of that happening, Um, but it didn't start happening till about year seven or eight. And I think uh, I think uh, Alistair Begg, too. He's got a really good talk. Um, I forget. I think it's called the Dangers and Delights of Pastoral Ministry or Long Time Long. Yeah, he gave that at one of
1: the one of the Basics conferences I went to. Oh, yeah. Were you there? Yeah. I've been to Basics uh, since 2012, every year that we've had it.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. I've never uh, been, but I always, I've never been to it, but I always download the talks and listen to them. And that one, for some reason, there's there's things that he says in there and the way he does it. um, I have to listen to it like once a year. Um, especially when I'm getting really frustrated in ministry, there's something mm-hmm. about that talk that just calms me down and says, you're going to be fine. Um, but in that talk, he says that, um, and I don't remember how long ago it was, but he said that most pastors usually get in their groove and start, you know, getting, getting on a roll around year seven or eight, but most pastors leave their church after six or seven years. And he's like, they're leaving just about the time. They're just going to start rolling with things. And so, um, Um, But he also mentions that the danger of being in a church for a long time is you just get comfortable and you just kind of sit and and, uh, don't try anything new. And you're like, we're good. Everybody's good. We're just good. And uh, and we love our comfort. (laughs) Yeah, he says they don't Mm -hmm. end up burning out. They just rust out. It was his analogy, which I thought was really, really good. They just sit there and rust out. Mm -hmm. So you've grown up. So you've grown up in the CRC your whole life. Yeah. And so I'd I'd love to hear what you've seen kind of throughout the years as being some of the strengths of the Christian Reformed Church.
1: Yeah, I've been uh uh yeah, a member of the CRC. Uh if I could uh, quote Gimli the Dwarf, I'm sitting pretty on number 43. So I'm 43 <laughs> years I've been into this. I don't have an axe in some work's head though, I don't that <laughs> that make for problems. Um yeah, you know. The one of the strengths right away of the CRC and, and it's also we can get in. Well, we've got you've got into in some of the other conversations, uh, you know, is we have such a strong family emphasis. And, uh, you know, that that can it's a strength and a weakness Uh the, the strong part of it is. Uh, there's a loyalty that people had, uh, and still have, especially the older generation still have to their congregation. You know, it's just kind of like, Hey, we are all, you know, one immigrant group. Well, when did you come here? 1880 something. Like, yeah, we're still an immigrant group, <laughs> even though it's been over hundred years, uh, we're, yeah. we're still here. And that's, yeah. But aren't there other people here who aren't Dutch? Yeah. You know, so we, we, <laughs> we are changing, but there's a lot of that, uh, you know, a lot of that mentality, the good side of it is. You know, you, you in a family will put up with a lot of nonsense from each other. Uh, you can have grace and patience. Uh, you can encourage one another. You can kind of be the little, you know, small, safe environment like home where you can practice uh, your theology and, and your preaching and your writing. And and we've produced a few, as I understand, a few good philosophers and uh, a couple of, uh, you know, Bible scholars and so on. We've done that. Um yeah, that's and, and I'll, we can get into the weaknesses later why that long term is not good for a church. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, a, a certain sense of, hey, we are Christian reformed and we are in this together. And, um, you know, that uh, institutional loyalty. I mean, the fact that you could have for as long as we did ministry shares work as, uh, as as spectacularly as they did. And we're told maybe even today that it's the uh, the envy of the of the church world, although, yeah, that's fading, too. but. Mm-hmm. You know the fact that everyone just has a sense of hey we are we're we're all on board together. I think you know some other strengths include uh, for a long time uh, conviction that the word of God reigns supreme, and that's still embedded in the worship service. Um, you know the church people still put it at the top of their list, even if in reality maybe there are some other things they desire out of their pastor a bit more. Yeah, they still have that sense that no, you really ought to put the preaching of the word as as the main thing. You really have to have Scripture rule, and um, yeah, some well thought out uh, doctrine, um, and uh, I think those those things have uh, served the CRC well. Practices like um, having our our classes, our uh, gems and cadets, and uh, you know, people might have criticized uh, the cadet program, for example uh a while back saying well why couldn't you be in the boy scouts because you know that's where where people are and yeah they had a point but now we see what happened <laughs> with the boy scouts exactly. mm-hmm. you know, you know the church uh, you know has a little bit more control over these kinds of programs it's uh, you know that can really be a great uh, help in uh, preserving uh you know the integrity of the gospel and, and what it is to grow into a young man a young woman that kind of thing so yeah we've got a lot of uh a lot of strengths uh, you know stewardship i think usually as a group and that i think this is a calvinist like international thing you know wherever you find calvinists they're usually pretty good with money and hmm. they're good with uh, investing and uh you know they can <laughs> put together some pretty good programs and some buildings and things so now we've got we've got a downside here too you know I've, and i remember that coming out one of your one of your shows where uh said yeah but we're also quite a bit introverted. And if you mix that Kyperian theology, with introversion, and you don't have the gospel, that's where you get all of this uh, social justice stuff and the political involvement and these things that really are um, going astray from the the mission of the church. But, you know, in and of itself, hey, you know, those are just a few of the strengths right there.
0: Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll just have to say just from my own uh, personal testimony of the last uh, few months of my my battle with COVID and and all of that, the the family aspect of the CRC um, was almost overwhelming um, to me. The number of people I had messaging me and um, praying for me, you know, throughout all of North America and even the world. I mean, I had people in Liberia, people in the Dominican Republic praying for me. and, And it was powerful just because of the yeah, the familiness, right? That we joke about Dutch mm-hmm. bingo in the CRC where everybody's connected to everybody. And it's kind of a joke. But when um, when things get tough, and you need support and prayer, that's huge. And uh, that carries you through and it car- helped carry my family through. And so that that is a massive strength that I don't think we should overlook too much. I, I had a couple friends who grew up in the CRC, and it just drove them nuts. They hated Dutch bingo. Were, like, oh, we're just a <laughs> bunch of inbreds and you know and uh, and I always said I didn't grow up with that even though my dutch roots go deep and my crc roots go deep I I I didn't grow up in all of that and so coming back to it um has been amazing and and I said yeah it can get kind of weird and inbred I I agree but there's a powerful uh, support system there for for congregations and and then at being a pastor as well knowing that you've got all these other pastors around you, you, supporting you, walking with you that you can go to. Um, that's, that's really huge. I mean, I, I'm one of those guys, I love classes meetings. And so I was really bummed. I got, had to miss my cl- last classes meeting because uh, I was in the hospital. but um, So I, I missed some of that, that networking with other pastors. Um, so w- what are some of the things that you're seeing now in the CRC um, that are causing you some concern? Well, um, yeah, you know, only too mindful
1: of uh, Philippians four and being mindful of what is uh, you know good and excellent and praiseworthy and so on. You don't want to you don't want to too quickly go into that, but um, yeah, at the same time, we can't ignore uh, it. When you know, as Jude says, you know, you get people who who exchange the the change the license the, the grace of our God into a license for morality. And um, yeah, that's what I see going on with, uh, you know, the all one body um, group and uh, sympathetic figures. Uh, I think that's uh, that—that's the biggest, probably the most external, obvious to see kind of concern. But, um, you know, that is really connected with a, a number of other things that I found concerning for some time. Uh, you know, the women in office decision back in uh, the mid 90s was, uh, I, I think, something of a almost, I don't want to say quite a canary in the coal mine, but kind of like that. That, that really bothered me. I, you know, and I've gone back and forth on the issue, but I remember at the time, boy, did that really bother me. And then and since then, I've come down really strongly on the traditional side. And, I, mm-hmm. and I, I think that, yeah, I understand that there are a couple of different ways you can arrive at the egalitarian position. But what I got a sense of going through seminary and uh, being with colleagues is that, uh, you know, there are some who take a more, well, you could say a conservative path towards allowing for women's ordination, but a great many would not. They just take the, uh, the very quick route of, hey, it's a, you know, another, it was a message for a church of another time. Um, you know, you had the Temple of Artemis and you had all these other things going on here. And so Paul really doesn't mean to say what he says, and that just never sat well with me to say, you know, I do not permit a woman to teach, have authority. Oh, oh that really means that, that you may. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, no, that, you know, so that kind of thing, but, you know, in the late nineties, early 2000s, I thought, well, you know, like, not a salvation issue. You know, we you know, you're always going to have disagreements. This is Protestantism. It's very hard to keep a church together. And, uh, mm-hmm. thought we could go along with that, but, you know, the, the, just sensing some of the, um, Oh, some of the convictions that isn't quite the right word, uh, impulses instincts that seem to come along with the pro women in office movement that kind of kind of concerned me. And uh, then, along with that uh, changes at, uh, you know, one thing I've noticed that at Calvin Seminary when I went through, uh, a lot of the path, a lot of the uh, professors were former pastors. And now that is really changed, unless uh, I'm just completely unaware of some of these, but it looks like, and, it, and I don't mean that as a slam against any um, any particular professor or anything like that, but just to note the overall trend away from uh, having pastors equip pastors. And yeah, they're professors and they have doctorates and so on, but just to um, get people who've their whole experience, it seems like, has been uh in the academy and uh they've been in the church, but not as a pastor out there, um, you know, with uh, you know, maybe a hundred members or two hundred members and all kinds of things, you know, dropped down to them because they're pastor and the, those expectations. And I, I think that's, you know, that that's a bit of a concern too. Um and i think the the political involvement i think when you just get a lot more of that separation between uh, the i guess you could say the uh, hate using the word elite that's not right but uh, folks who who get to uh get to work at denomination headquarters and so on they they just seem to be running in different circles going to different conferences and uh just having different priorities than um than what i have and the the churches i know and, uh, and I know there are some churches that are, uh, you know, sympathetic to what, uh, you know, uh, 28th Street likes to do, but a lot are not. So I, I, d- I do see uh, a, a division, and uh, we've put it off, I think, for a long time. We've known that these uh, these uh, fault lines, uh, to use Balkum's language, you know, these fault lines have been there, and we've known that. But, Yeah. We um, have uh, put off the decision, I think, and it's, it looks like it is going to be some kind of a, some kind of a realignment and I don't know how that will play out, but um, yeah, those are some concerns.
0: Yeah. So one, I've got a a number of things I want to jump on off of there, but one of the things that just popped into my mind as you were talking was, um, so I'm, I'm one of those guys, I really like to read CRC history as well. And so this last summer, I was rereading James Bratt's book, uh, Dutch Calvinism in Modern America. And I remember him talking in that book about uh, the massive controversy going on in the CRC back in the 20s. And so it was just a big fight. Everybody, you know, they kicked, they kicked uh, Gerhardus Voss out, he got removed from the seminary, we lost a bunch of good people in that fight. And then he said, after that fight kind of ended, um, the 30s were like an era of peace just nobody wanted to fight anymore that was like we're done fighting we're just going to be nice mm-hmm. we're going to ignore things um but then all of a sudden things blew up again um because they they refused to have some of that conflict and um i've been wondering if that's kind of the case for us that you know like you mentioned the women in office thing was really tense for about 20 years i th- you know kind of going back and forth and back and forth and uh, and then finally, it you know went through in the late 90s and, and got pushed out to the different classes. And then it seems like as a denomination, we've just refused to fight about things. Anytime somebody tries to bring something up, um, until recently, now I think we're getting into a place where we all realize we have to take a stand. But for the last 15 years, last almost 20 years, we've been a denomination that's refused to enter into any form of discipline or even, and fight. And, uh, and I've seen that Um, you mentioned all one body and uh, all one body has been active for quite a while. I guess I don't know when they were founded. Um, But I've been watching synods and watching, um, reading overtures coming through about all one body. It seems like quite some time where people have been sending in overtures saying we need to do some discipline on this group. They're, they're teaching things contrary to what our denomination holds. They're, they're not, this is not helpful. And, uh, and it seems like every time that comes up, Synod says, well, for me, it feels like just a political dodge, like, we don't really want to touch it. And so yep. here's some church order ninja moving that mm-hmm. says, we can't deal with it. Now, you have to do these things. Um, You have to do these things first, and then we'll maybe deal with it. And then they do those things, and they bring it back to Synod. And they're like, Oh, wait, <laughs> We're gonna we did not want to do that. yeah shoot you did it so no we can't so what do you you think that that's part of what's going on or is there something else going on why we're so hesitant to to enter into some of these conflicts or even some of these disciplinary actions well I
1: I think that's a big part of it I think another part and uh, this would be I I think to look at it with uh, in a a charitable light um, we I I think uh, all of us probably as Christians because I think you know the you know, the all one body group would claim to be Christian. Uh, I'd have some questions about that. Um, You know, but but we all, at least, you know, we, we seek to follow Jesus and be like him. And uh, we, we've all read our Bibles and we know that, you know, Paul writes in the pastoral letters, you know, don't be quarrelsome. And, uh, you know, if possible, live at peace with everyone. Romans 14, just, you know, take the, uh, fine, put the mask on or, or don't worry about the mask if it, you know, offends your brother and that kind of thing. You know, so I, I think we have a, a, a strong urge within us and probably rightly so to, uh, not jump right into a fight and also maybe to assume the best of each other. You know, I think, uh, you know, to use a, a Harry Potter thing, you know uh, snape will say to um uh draco's mom you know that uh that is dumbledore's weakness that uh, he sees the best in everybody and of course that actually ends up not being a weakness you know but uh mm-hmm. yeah you know and to be fair you know folks on the other side so to speak uh, you know they they can come up with some pretty convincing sounding um you know presentations I think on further inspection, they do fall apart. You know, it reminds me a lot of the women in office thing, you know, it appeals to some good basic instincts, right. You know, of, uh, let's make sure people are included. Let's make sure that we're treating people fairly. Hey, somebody's got gifts. Why shouldn't they be pastors? All that sort of thing, you know, and that's, yeah, <laughs> we shouldn't be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mean and we shouldn't be uh, harsh with one another, but yeah, there does come a time where you have to, uh, You have to call out the false teachers and the false teaching and and recognize when something has just moved beyond the uh, category of agree to disagree. Um, And uh, so I I think there's, but we're slow to do that. And uh, there's, there's a good side of it. And then of course, there's a not so good side of it too, because, you know, if you, uh, you know, if you refuse to take stands, then, uh, you know, that's, you actually make the fight worse, I think.
0: That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Jeffrey Scripps. Until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.